Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC and you're joining us for the second part in a series looking at the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. The series is called Life in All Its Fullness, which is a deliberate borrow of a phrase that Jesus used in John 10 to talk about what he came to bring. And in some ways, uh, it's perhaps not entirely appropriate to borrow that phrase because Jesus was talking about a different kind of life a life that is fulfilled by walking with him. But I think in other ways it's entirely appropriate because Ecclesiastes does talk about the completeness and all the aspects, all the facets of life. And if we really want to be able to enjoy life in all all its fullness that Jesus is offering, we need to be real about what life is actually like for us now. We're going to be looking this time round at um, time and death. Uh, I'd like to bring joy to you with this particular session in those two focuses foci maybe um so we're going to be looking again at uh, some passages uh, thematically rather than consecutively or or in a, a different kind of narrative kind of a way um so we'll be doing that starting with a good chunk of chapter one before we go any further so let's pray almighty god would you open your hearts to us that we might see all of who you are and get to know you better and would you help us open our hearts to you that we might be challenged and led towards who you want us to be amen okay so we're going to start with um, verses 2 to 11 of chapter 1 uh, and we're looking on this time about how Kehelet is a kind of a philosopher figure uh, and, a, and a kind of curator of multiple voices, different perspectives that he brings together and shines a light on. So, starting at verse 2. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, Kohelet. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north, around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. And the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people will say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. So if you're looking for something upbeat from the Bible, uh, this probably isn't the right place to go looking for it. We talked last time about uh, the difference between the voice of Kohelet, who's like a, a bit of a cynical teacher, talking to a congregation of people or gathering of people um, who know and fear God and the difference between that voice and the author who bookends the book by introducing Kohelet and then at the end by sort of summing him up uh, and sort of explaining why his voice is valuable. At this point fairly very early actually in in Kohelet's explanation or reflection on life and the world He is essentially saying this, time will eventually erase you and me and all we care about. People come and go, the mountains are still there. It doesn't matter how many times uh, rivers 
pour water into the sea, there's always more water coming from the rivers into the sea. Nothing is new, nothing hasn't already been done. In the Disney film Up, animated film, we see uh, a guy who's been broken by experience. He's lost and lonely. His wife, who is the love of his life, dies. And he effectively gives up. And then a small boy comes into his life and kind of forces him almost to change his perspective and renew his sense of adventure and direction. Ecclesiastes, with his honesty, is a book about how to do life according to the full depth and breadth of our experience and with a really big dollop of very honest wisdom. We are encouraged not to dwell entirely in that place of loss and heartbreak, but to be willing to adventure still, not by forgetting the heartbreak or pretending it's not there, but by living through it, by travelling through it. Let's go back to Kohelet's voice. We're looking at chapter 7, verses 15 to 18 here. The teacher says, I have seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? Pay attention to these instructions for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. Interesting reflection, isn't it, on on this idea that good people die young and wicked people live long lives and are honoured elsewhere in the book he says they are um, very often cherished and praised and, and looked up to even though they're wicked Billy Joel has a song that's uh, where the refrain is only the good die young and and there is this sense isn't there that that we we notice when good people when wise or kind people do die before their time one of uh, one of the people who helps us feel most at home um, my family, my wife and I particularly when we were living in Lowestoft uh, was a lady called Sarah who has recently died and you just think she, she brought so much encouragement she brought a real sense of peace she, um, she was a very sort of bright person who, who brought a great sense of positive uh, to the people around her it's horrible to think that somebody my age, my generation leaves behind uh, two daughters and that it's cancer that's taken her from us. This is horribly unfair. And it does, I think it it helps reinforce Kahelet's point, this teacher's point, that things are enigmatic or mysterious or make no sense or are meaningless in the life around us. Alicia Keys, the American musician, said this, things can be really empty in this world and I don't just mean the music world it can become a very meaningless place if you don't really understand who am I why am I here what am I doing to feel fulfillment and have a deeper level of understanding personally that is the most important thing she says there is a key consideration here and I think it's something that Kahelet really picks up on this idea that that finding satisfaction and meaning is a big part of what makes life work. Now, at the end of the book, the author says 
the best response to life is to fear God and be obedient because we're going to have to answer to God anyway and I think that's very true but part of how Kahele expresses this is by saying um, fearing God or or trusting God or, or responding in a healthy way to God does include the ability to recognize the things that bring us satisfaction or joy and to make the most of them to live in those things I think I said in the in the first part of this series that the the sort of raw honesty of the book is is a big part of its value and the fact that it, it denies a kind of veneer kind of approach you know it's it's not shiny and sparkly and it doesn't pretend otherwise Emily Mortimer, the actress, said this. To get art nowadays in cinema or books or anything that grapples with the possibility of a meaningless universe just doesn't happen anymore. In even the most indie of indie films, everything has to come to some kind of neat conclusion. My daughter writing her dissertation recently and looking at the the sort of evolution of dystopian literature uh, looked at the way that, that contemporary dystopian literature wants to bring things to a tidy end maybe not to tie up all the loose ends but it wants to bring things to some sense of tidy resolution but not Ecclesiastes Cahelet refuses neat and tidy and almost revels in the messy heartbreak and loss of the real world if you're someone who feels that life is rough and difficult and you're trying to make sense of that while walking with God Cahelet is totally your kind of man Here's some more of what he has to offer, um, starting in chapter 11, verse 7. Light, light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything that you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth, the whole life before you, is meaningless. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honour him in your youth before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun, moon and stars is dim to your old eyes and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house, start to tremble, and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants, stop grinding, and before your eyes, the women looking through the windows, see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets, before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper and the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well, for then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit return to God who gave it. 
It's a fairly long passage. I'm just going to borrow a little bit of Terry Pratchett wisdom to sum it up. Pratchett says, By the time you've reached your 60s, you do know that one day you will die, and knowing that is at least the beginning of wisdom. I think I said before, I think I said last time, that when we come across cynics, we have a, a, a biblical basis for a response that says, however bad you think it is, actually it's possibly worse, we're all going to die. Whether we're wise or foolish, actually, Ecclesiastes says, whether we're human or animal, whether we're good or bad, everything dies. And so the way, the way that, the thing that we have that we're able to do something about is the now. But there is no point waiting. There's no point waiting for the moment when it all resolves itself or seems to make sense, because that isn't going to happen. Instead, we have the now, which is a gift from God. I, I'm aware that in Kung Fu Panda um, we get a, a phraseology that doesn't feel at all Christian um, but I find very interesting when uh, when the central character is talking with the wise old experts in Kung Fu it's the wise old expert who says uh, yesterday is history tomorrow is a mystery but today is a gift that's why they call it the present and that may be uh, a kind of parallel wisdom to biblical wisdom rather than new wisdom of its own. The American actor Sheila Berth said this, Sometimes I feel I'm living a meaningless life and I get frightened. It is very easy for the meaninglessness to kind of take over the way that we see the world. It becomes a kind of pair of sunglasses. They're the lenses through which we see everything and we feel so bleak. But in response to this, I want to pick up on something that Rob Bell talks about. I, I spent quite a bit of time looking at a Rob Bell um, video on YouTube called An Introduction to Joy, which does look at Ecclesiastes. Very good uh, and interesting perspective. And I'm borrowing from it a couple of times through the series. And he tells a story about a, a breakfast he was invited to um, ahead of a, a panel event where various people were on the panel, including him, but also... Um, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa and the Dalai Lama and he said he was there at the point when they both arrived He's, he was already in the room Rob was and uh, first name terms isn't really a thing with me and Rob Bell but it just seemed quicker um, and they arrive at opposite ends of the room Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu and they come across the room and they embrace deeply they've known each other a long time and then they start tickling each other and then they have a, have a laugh and they start trading stories about family and, and friends and, uh, and they start sort of talking about things that are important to them and, and you know, sharing encouragement. And Rob Bell describes how this feels wrong to him. It doesn't, doesn't feel appropriate. And he has to go away in, in his mind and work out why it feels wrong. And he eventually realises that it's because these two guys, Dalai Lama is an, is an exile from his home and has been since he was a child. Not welcome in his own homeland. It has an entire nation stacked against him, China. Uh, and... And Desmond Tutu has lived through um, apartheid and, and has been one to call on the international community to bring sanctions about. He was, in a way, a leader of the anti-apartheid movement when Nelson Mandela was still in prison. And so what Rob Bell says is he realises that he was expecting a real heaviness from both of these guys, that they, that they would come into this situation sort of carrying that heaviness with them. But they didn't. They brought a lightness. And it wasn't a lightness that ignored the struggles that they've experienced or the darkness that they've seen. It was a lightness that said, I've lived in this. 
and I know that in these situations there is still joy to be found in the meaninglessness in the in the vapor like um, characteristics of life in the bleakness there are still places and people and moments to know joy and satisfaction and purpose in the end Rob Bell says that life in lots of ways is kind of like vapor management and I think he hits the nail on the head where he says that joy joy never hides from or ignores the reality of heartbreak and loss in fact genuine joy cannot spring from anything else because if those things are ignored then the joy is a pretense it's pretending that those hard things don't happen and I don't think that when we think about life in its fullness that that's what we're supposed to do we're not supposed to say well let's just pretend the hard times aren't there and dance along as if everything's fine it's not but there is still joy to be found quoting Rob Bell again he says something very much like I'm going to paraphrase you don't need the mountain top because there's plenty to work with down in the valley when it comes to joy going to go back and quote um, perhaps one of the most famous bits of Ecclesiastes so I'm in chapter 3 reading verses 1 to 8 for everything there is a season and a time for every activity under heaven a time to be born and a time to die a time to plant and a time to harvest a time to kill and a time to heal a time to tear down and a time to build up a time to cry and a time to laugh a time to grieve and a time to dance a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones which, by the way, is a reference probably to how you would sow a field with stones so that it couldn't be used so easily for growing crops, so you make it hard for other people to use them. A time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What's interesting is once you start thinking like Kehelet, like the teacher, you start realising that actually all those times repeat. There is a time to search and a time to quit searching and then there'll be another time to search and another time to quit searching. There'll be a time to tear and a time to mend and then afterwards it'll tear again and it'll mend again and it'll tear again. There will be times of quiet and speaking repeatedly either it's another cycle or it's a, a shuttle to and fro there is repetition none of these things are new John Goldingate who is um, uh, Old Testament, British Old Testament scholar now living in the States writes this you cannot understand life unless you keep in focus the fact that we are on our way to death now again, you might by this point be going, oh, for goodness sake, Mike, can you not bring anything upbeat into this? Well, I think there is, there's lots of upbeat to be found. I think actually Jesus has, an, has a response to some of this stuff. So in, in um, Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry about anything, because actually your Father in Heaven is going to look after you. He doesn't say your Father in Heaven is going to stop bad things happening. But he does say, and he was referring to um, the birds of the, of the sky or the, the flowers of the field he says God's got it covered 
it's not those birds always have an easy life, but they are watched and loved and cared for. And when push comes to shove, although it would be tempting to wish to never have bad times, I think I would rather know that in every situation God is present and caring for me. If I had to let go of his constant presence and care in, in order to in order to have things easy, I, I think I'd rather not have things easy. I think I'd rather have God. But in the middle of all this repetition, in the, in the middle of the awareness that death is a thing that's going to happen, I think we do well to heed again Rob Bell's advice borrowing heavily from him in this session he says this if you find something meaningful and satisfying in life you should probably do that enjoy this life that we have he says because it's really fragile and really precious it's interesting isn't it that, that although quite often we are reluctant to talk about death or at least we're aware the culture around us isn't a big fan of talking about death that that you do find that actually when you get down to it it's not particularly death that people are worried about it's the manner of dying i think you quite often come across people who say not 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 what's it like to be dead but what's it like to die and and it's the process of dying that people are worried about terry pratchett says um it's not morbid to talk about death. Most people don't worry about death. They worry about a bad death. I'm going to finish uh, by quoting again um, a Bible commentator I quoted last time, called Ian Proven, uh, who writes in a commentary about Ecclesiastes, and he says this, overshadowing all such attempts to overcome the limitations set to life is the ultimate empirical reality that demonstrates they cannot death. Let me read that again. Overshadowing all such human attempts to overcome the limitations set to life is the ultimate reality that demonstrates humanity cannot overcome those limitations. And death is the proof of that. If we are to be honest about the life that we lead, about the world around us and what it's like, if we're going to allow the reality to shape how we live, the, the kind of march of time and the reality of death need to be in our context they need to be part of our backdrop for how we live they need to inform how we go about this life how we build relationships what we give our energy to let's pray almighty god would you plant within us uh, a contentment with the reality of life around us. Recognising all the struggles and not pretending that they're easy, but also allowing you to breathe into the reality of life, to allow ourselves to be honest about the context of how we live and to enjoy anything of satisfaction or meaning that you provide. Amen. Okay, it's three questions time. Here's question one. How does death shape how you live? Question two. How do you respond to heartache?
maybe you avoid it or brush it off or pretend it's not as big a deal as it is maybe you dwell entirely in it and find it really difficult to do anything other than live an existence of heartache I think the only other thing I'd want to add as you think about that question how do you respond to heartache is to ask this question if you imagine that you're on a boat down a kind of river of life what do you use as a paddle what is it that moves you forward and is that your heartache is it your pretending is it something else question three what are the things that bring meaning and satisfaction into your life and how is god in these things Well, that's it for session two. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for hanging in there. And I pray that you will know God's presence as you wrestle with these things in your mind. Amen.